Hey, Tom Show listeners, it's time for Gen Con 2012, and this recording is coming to you straight from the con. That's right. We present to you here an unedited recording straight from the best four days in gaming. But be aware of what that means. We did not dictate the content. We are not censoring for language. And while our editor, Sam, will try to make the sound as good as possible, we're in a large room trying to capture as much sound as possible. So it may not be as crisp and clear as you're used to. With that said, we as always have to give credit to the folks who help us pay the bills around here, and that's Continue Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine for all sorts of gamers. Video, board, card, mini, and of course RPGs. Be sure to swing by ContinueMag.com, buy a magazine, and tell them thank you for supporting the podcast. Well, without further ado, your Gen Con 2012 recording. Whichever one it happens to be this time around. Enjoy! Coming to uh, this event to uh, hear about uh, Dungeons and Dragons in the future. Uh, in, in case you're wondering, uh, why did they bring that guy back? <laughs> uh, well, it's my uh, privilege. I get to introduce tonight uh, Greg Leeds, who's the CEO of Wizards of the Coast, and he's he's a great guy. And um, I think he might be talking a little bit about D and D next. I, I've been playing. In fact, yesterday I launched the website. Here's my little opportunity for a shameless promotional plug. Uh, I launched the website. It's called The First Paladin. We've been filming our D&D game, and we're playing D&D next. So uh, check out that website, thefirstpaladin.com. And, and Saturday night at 7 o'clock, um, presenting about it in the Wizards of the Coast rooms over by the exhibit hall 139. So come see me. Uh, so... So about six uh, months ago, I went down to Wizards and I went to Greg Leeds and I said, hey, uh, I've always wanted to have a keynote address at Gen Con. You know, oh, first of all, I got Adrian's permission, of course. And then uh, and we would love to see, especially because you're working on a new uh, edition of Dungeons and Dragons, we would love to see uh, you present the first keynote, the inaugural keynote, uh, for Gen Con, and so that led to uh, this evening. And, and Greg said, "Oh, that's great! I'm get, we've got a lot of great star game designers. I'll, I'll get that. No, Greg, yes, bring them on. But I want to see you get up on stage. I mean, you are the caretaker for the two. I mean, let's face it, the two best games invented in the history of mankind." <laughs> Right, are, are under your care and loving feeding. So, uh, you know, and it's like if, if this was Starfleet, Wizards of the Coast would be the Enterprise and you would be Captain Kirk, you know, and we need to hear that view from the bridge, you know. And so, Greg said, okay, I'll come do it. And, and besides, guys, I want you to meet Greg Leeds. The CEO has been here for several years at Wizard of the Coast. I think he's done an absolute fabulous job, really sincerely. So please join me in giving an awesome welcome to Mr. Greg Leeds.
think most people know Peter founded uh, Wizards, and all of us at Wizards of the Coast are grateful for the legacy that you created and left with us. It's a, it's a delight. Built uh, to last. Built to last, absolutely. I can also say uh, we're very proud to be uh, part of this uh, inaugural keynote presentation. Um, and we're really very excited to be able to talk to you about Dungeons and & Dragons, and specifically the future of Dungeons & Dragons. Now, as all of you know, D&D has a long and vibrant history. It's kind of an enviable past that's uh, unparalleled by any other game. Uh, when Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson uh, first brought the world idea to the world that would eventually become Dungeons and Dragons. It was just the beginning of something that no one really could have anticipated. D&D uh, has lived on to delight millions of people uh, around the world, and frankly it's changed the landscape of gaming forever. And so now it's our responsibility to be the caretakers of D&D and make sure the future is bright. And I can tell you from my side, um, I've been thinking about my responsibilities, and I actually asked some people for their perceptions of my responsibilities.
Thank you, Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Uh, I'm Kevin Culp. By trade, I'm a video game designer out in Boston. But for the last 12 years or so, I've been one of the administrators, one of the people who helped run Russell Morrissey's D&D website, GameWorld.org, originally founded by Eric Noah back in 1999, at the beginning of third edition. Uh, I post there as Pirate Cat, and that is the community, it's the internet's largest independent site for D&D news and the largest independent message board. Uh, my group started as playtesters back in 99 for third edition, and we're D&D next playtesters now. And I've got to say, it's been an absolute joy to watch the fan community grow and change throughout that decade. I'm also involved with the Eddies, the Gen Con EN World RPG Awards being held tomorrow night that celebrate excellence in tabletop role-playing. And that puts me in kind of a fun position where I'm sort of a professional fan. I'm a neutral third party and a die-hard D&D gamer who gets to talk publicly about the things he loves most about gaming. So if you've ever read Ian World's message boards, you know that just like everybody else, albeit maybe with more polite grammar and fewer swears, uh, I've got opinions about D&D and about what he is and has been doing with what I kind of consider my game. And of course, it's also all of your games. Um, some things I love, some things I haven't. But just like everybody in this room and everybody watching online, we want Dungeons & Dragons to be the best game we can possibly Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, talking with the people that you're going to see here tonight um, and seeing what they have to show us, I've got a really good feeling about where this is going. I started off the D&D Next Playtest um, with the Friends and Family program, and we've been continuing with it, and we were having a stupid amount of fun. Uh, I'll be functioning a little bit like a dungeon master up here, guiding the discussion and making sure everybody contributes. Uh, I probably won't be making people roll initiative. Maybe. Uh, but, and to be fair, right, we have a series of topics that we need to make sure we cover. And we're going to try to avoid reading this, like, box text. Um, for anyone who's suffered through that, they should know a good DM knows how to improvise. So, this is the part where my 14-year-old self, um, sitting around my friend Ken's table in southern Connecticut, um, wonders kind of how I ended up up here on stage with the people who created Dungeons & Dragons. So it's my honor to introduce them. First off, we have Mike Merles, Eddie and Origins award-winning game designer and senior manager for the Dungeons & Dragons R&D team. spectacular. I said, I think that guy's going somewhere in role play. <laughs> uh, so next up, I'd like to introduce Sean, uh, John Shindahedi. He's the Chesley and Alexicon Best Art Director Award winner and the Senior Creative Director for Dungeons and Dragons. Creator of the Forgotten Realms, the guy whose Waterdeep box set 
actually taught me how to run the city-based D&D games at Greenwood. Everything I just talked about, that stuff doesn't have anything to do with the rules of the game. 
know, the rules are really just there to keep the game moving. They're, they're a tool for the DM, you know, they're kind of like an artist's paint, an artist's paint, you know, where, you know, the paint isn't what's important, it's the picture. You know, we don't play D&D because we all just really like learning rules about armor class or figuring attack bonuses or calculating saving throws. You know, when you think back, if, you know, to the first time you started playing D&D, and you think about those experiences and why are you still playing this game? You know, if it's anything like my experiences, it's when you first figured out that you could do anything in this game. That most other games you probably have learned to that point have been all about the boundaries they create. You know, they create a path that you can follow on a game board. Or they tell you, oh, on your turn you can spend your resources to build a colony or improve your castle or anything like that. The rules are all about telling you what you could do. And that's all you could do. D&D taught us that we could do whatever we wanted to do. There, there's no board, there are no boundaries. Uh, it was just freedom, you know, to create, the, the freedom to choose what we wanted to do, the freedom to imagine our character, to imagine the world we were going to, to build and where our campaign could take place. You know, we could talk to the monster, not just fight it. We could form an alliance with the giants outside of town, the NPCs, we could build a kingdom, we could even become gods. And the rules are all secondary in that stuff. You know, but for too long, the rules have been at the forefront of the game. The rules, uh, really, they put the designer in the forefront. You know, they put the designer in charge of the game. And, and that misses the entire point of D&D. The point of D&D, the reason why we play, is the people at the table, the DM and the players, that those guys, us, you know, as players and DMs, we're in charge. And that's why D&D is the one game that tells you, right there in the rule book, to break the rules. That these rules are guidelines. They're meant to be broken. They're meant to be bent. You, know, you, you can't get that like in poker, right? Unless you want to <laughs> just decide I'm going to bring my own deck to the game, right? The, um, so really, with D&D Next, it's all about putting the rules behind us. We want to create a, a simple set of core rules that are easy to learn, easy to modify, and we're going to let individual DMs build the campaigns that they want to run. And we'll let players decide what kind of characters they want to play. Uh, you know, with that strong core rules in place, we can go back to focusing on what makes D&D interesting. What got us all here in the first place and what's kept us here. You know, things like new adventures, new settings, new stories, things that speak to what made us all fall in love with D&D. So um, we launched the entire playtest process and the entire DD next process uh, based on what we've seen going on in the community. Um, we know that people are, uh, there, not everyone, but there are a significant chunk of DD fans who are unhappy with how the game's changed over the years. Uh, in some ways, R&D has chosen specific play styles and sort of said, this way of playing DD is the right way, capital T, you know, the right way to play. And it's really about bringing balance back to the situation bringing balance back to the game, and giving a voice to the people who play D&D, people who run D&D campaigns, to let them choose what, how do we want to play the game, because that's really the point of it. You know, we want to bridge the gap between D&D fans, between the fans and R&D, and we want to put the rules in the back seat and focus on actually playing the game and actually living those stories and living those campaigns. 
uh, we want to focus all that stuff I talked about before, like what made us all fall in love with DMV in the first place. Uh, we want to preserve that feeling, and we want to make sure that it never goes away. And you know, the way we're doing that is by the open play test. You know, by giving all of you a chance to let us know what you like and what you don't like about DMV, and what you like and what you don't like about what we've done with the game, and you know what you want out of the game and what you need. And you know, a lot of that comes out of you know looking at D&D's past and seeing how it's evolved over the years and seeing your everyone's relationship with it. And it goes back to what I said before that D&D is yours. It's your campaign. You know, no one's when, you, when people talk about their campaigns, their characters, is a sense of you know you own it. It's yours. There's a possessiveness to it that you don't necessarily see in other games. You don't say like I'm playing my Assembly of Catan or my Monopoly. You just say I'm playing Monopoly, but you say I'm playing my D&D. The, um, and so that's what's really important, your campaigns, your stories, your house rules, your characters. And I think we've lost track of that as an R&D department, and as the guardians of the game, the overseers, the people who are keeping tabs on things. And today we're here to talk about how we're bringing it back, and how we're getting back to what made us all fall in love with the in the first place. So... So if the idea of the Indian X is to create a version of the game that appeals to everybody, um, regardless of the addition to they prefer, kind of uh, you know by the fans, for the fans sort of thing, how do you see your roles fitting into this process? I mean, everybody knows the axiom of too many cooks. Um, so how are you and your team approaching the game's development? So uh, the way I think of it is that R&D's sort of proper role in things is that we serve as gatekeepers. Uh, we're responsible for attending to the game, but not, we're not really responsible for controlling it or for telling it where to go. Um, you know, the game existed long before any of us came to work, well, except maybe Kim Moen, uh, <laughs> before we came to work on D&D, and it's going to be around after we leave. Um, and, you know, it's what you guys want to see in the game that's really important, not what we want to see in the game. You know, you tell us what you want, and then we're kind of making to make sure that that stuff's going to be there, and it's going to be there in a way that speaks to why you want it and how you want to use it. And it's really giving players and fans the final say on what DD is, not a group of game designers out in Seattle. So, I know the playtest isn't the only way in which you guys are getting feedback from the players. Um, we've also seen a lot of conversations online um, about the artwork of the game, with John engaging fans to get their opinions, uh, their thoughts about how the look of DD Next is being shaped. Uh, John, tell us a little bit about that. I'd love to, Kevin. So, at the tail end of 2011, we started a, a discussion about the D&D world. You know, the discussion started off pretty simple. We chatted about where we were at, where we'd been, where we wanted to go, what was going on, and uh, we started diving down into the, the, all the discussions, having lots of exploration, uh, diving into the legends and lore, and having a lot of big conversations. And uh, decided that what we wanted to do is bring together a group of experts to really decide where we wanted to go with the direction of D&D. Fast forward, Zoom, because lots of that was just a lot of talking between all those times. But you fast forward until a couple of months ago, that's when I started my Dragon Eye View articles. And uh, that was just a place for me to kind of share with everybody out there who was interested to see what the creative side of D&D was, to have more discussions about what was going on. So I've been talking about everything from ampersands to owlbears, and uh, one of the owlbears are a great point, by the way, because owlbears are a great place here and have a discussion about 
what's a snapshot of what the process is that we're going through on this entire collection of D&D monsters. I'm not just talking about one or two, three, I'm talking about the entire breadth and width of all the D&D monsters Flumps. that we've ever done. That we, Mike, are we doing flumps? Of course we're doing flumps. Oh, that's <laughs> That's what the whole point is. We're looking at everything right now. Nothing's off the table. But the first thing we always do is we huddle together as a group. We start talking about what's the legends and lore, uh, looking at the creatures, looking at our historical reference, you know, looking at the first edition to fourth edition and how it all fits. And then we have a conversation. Conversation might be a, a generous word. Uh, some, of the discussions we, <laughs> some of the discussions are easy. Some of them get pretty heated. Some of them turn into yelling matches. Al Bears. It was a yelling match. Uh, I think I was yelling the loudest, but I'm not sure. Um, but the thing about it is we all get together and we get to these tables we have a big discussion. Because here's the thing. Everybody at those tables, sure, we all work for Wizards of the Coast. But everybody at the table, we're just huge fans. You know, I've been playing since 1975, and I'm the baby of the bunch, I think. And uh, we, we love, love D&D. You know, and that's why we're so passionate about it. That's why we want to get into it. And that's why we're willing to sit here and throw down about the stuff we believe in. So each and every one of us wants to create the best expression of D&D. This isn't about egos. This is about creating something that's bigger than ourselves. And that's what we want to do. But anyway, so what we do is we decide, we look at the creature and say, is it broken? Or does it work? Or does it just need to be tweaked? Is it working okay? Sometimes we tweak the lore. Sometimes we tweak the art. But the first thing we try and do every time is we look at principle number one. And principle number one is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> so, so whether it's a goblin, or an owlbear, or a knoll, all the three things I've been show, showing recently on the uh, Dragon's Eye View articles, what I want to do is I want to just talk about linking together that lore and the art and making sure they mesh. Because there's nothing worse than reading a piece of lore that says, hi, this guy acts this way or lives this way and it doesn't match up. That's a horrible experience and I don't want to do that and I don't want to live that way. So, what we're doing is we're dipping our fingers into this stuff. Our fingers, we're dipping our toes into it really. But what we're trying to do is build a really cohesive and vibrant world. We want to build the immense encyclopedia, the, the biggest biggest world bible that you can think of and we just want to enjoy it and have a lot of fun so this is going to be the definitive guide for world the definitive guide for the world of D&D when we're finished and that's we're working for a lot of this stuff and you know we've just been talking about the monsters here we haven't even started talking about the races the classes the cultures and all the little nitpicks about this stuff we've got a lot yet to do fantastic One of the things that I find really interesting is that this sort of artistic collaboration is stretching into other portions of D&D as well. And right now I'm thinking about the novels, and Ed, that's your department. That's right. <laughs> Over on the storytelling side of things, there's been a lot of the same sort of back and forth with John and his team. And it's really unprecedented and exciting. I have to say, from what I've seen, John and his team are doing an excellent job of capturing the right look and feel of the characters and the monsters from the stories we're telling in the realms. So, 
you brought up the Forgotten Realms, and actually let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so Mike, how do the Forgotten Realms fit into D&D next, right? Is this a default setting? What are we doing with Greyhawk and Eberron and Dark Sun and Dragonlance and all the other settings? So, to start with, uh, in the past, you've seen that trying to do a lot of in-depth support for multiple settings backfires. There's like business reasons and all that, but that's not really important to you guys. And you guys are here to play D&D, you don't, you aren't here to run the business of D&D. So that's not quite as important. The key for us, though, comes down to focus. If we focus on one world at a time, that means we can bring it to life in a way that has never been done before. The Forgotten Realms is a focus on new material, but that doesn't mean we're ignoring our other settings. Make that very clear. We're focusing on the realms to begin with, but it doesn't mean that that's, where, that's the only setting we're ever going to do. Uh, we definitely have things in mind for what we want to do with our other settings. We just want to make sure that we put all of our energy and focus and, and really focus on making one great setting for now avoid splitting our attention and giving you six mediocre ones. Because I think really the exciting thing about the realms is the sheer depth of untapped material that's waiting to see the, the light of day. You know, a lot of it's just going back and looking at 25 years of published Forgotten Realms material and looking at what's already been said. Uh, you know, if you think about it, it's an immense world, it's a world with a stunning variety of cultures, uh, locations, and people. It's a grand tapestry that in a lot of ways has been kept hidden behind closed doors. You have to be a real realm scholar to delve into the specifics of each region to really learn about the world. So I want to change that. We're going to change that. We're going to take dust off that grand tapestry, bring out the colors, make it a little bit more vivid, a lot of that's the work John's doing, the work Ed's doing, work with them all together, and bring that to life and share that with you. Because at the end of the day, when you actually really delve into the realm, you really look at what's, what's there, it's far more than the typical fantasy world based on medieval Europe. It's a bustling, diverse, vibrant world that we just, we just can't wait to tell these shit. You know, when I look at the art we've been working on and the stories we have to tell, it, it's very exciting. because it's, it's the largest, most detailed fantasy setting that's ever been created. And so we're going to bring the realms to life by coordinating our efforts in terms of visual elements, writing, bringing everything together in a way that's never been attempted in the history of D&D. And, you know, the realms are going to be great, but we do have other great settings that TSR and Wizards have produced over the years. Uh, myself, I started this game with Greyhawk, with the original 1983 box set. And I still love Greyhawk. You know, it's, it's still probably my, my favorite fantasy setting. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, I am enormously, enormously proud to announce that in early 2013, we'll release the first wave of D&D Backless products in electronic format once again. We're serious about this, we're going back in the catalog, we're going all the way back to the depths of TSR's history, and it's going to take some time to bring everything out, we have a plan. But we're going to make products from all editions available, all settings available. And so we have a schedule, it's not just the old ones, you know, that'd be a bit, a bit daunting for us to manage. But regardless of what edition you love, regardless of what setting you love, no matter what you love about D&D, we want to bring it back to you and we want to have it. Mm -hmm. I, I was telling Greg Leeds earlier that 
that nowadays pretty much all of my role-playing game rulebooks are on my iPad with the exception of one particular favorite game. So I'm really pleased about that. Um, Ed, the Forgotten Realms have been your stomping ground for quite some time. You were saying earlier that you've been creating stories in the realms for something like 45 years. Uh, okay, how is that possible? Uh, that's longer than D&D. Uh, what's the background on that? Well, I'm a storyteller. I've always been a storyteller. When I was about six years old, I needed a place where my imagination could spin stories of swords and sorcery. And that place became the Forgotten Realms. Years later, in 1975, I discovered this great game that Gary Gygax had come up with, Dungeons and Dragons. And I read it, and I started writing not just stories, but adventures set in the realms. And the rest is gaming history. <laughs> so, over the years, because there's been that many years, there have been countless stories told in, in the realms. And some are mine, some are by all sorts of other authors and game designers. But most of them, when you think about it, have been told by all of you. And those are the most important stories of all the ones you create around your gaming table. After all, that's a lot of what Dungeons and Dragons is. You, you gather together and you tell a story. And what better way to help players tell stories than to provide a rich, colorful, detailed world setting that can be used as is or modified to your heart's content. So, we have been fixing up the rooms to get it ready for everyone, to get it ready for you to tell more stories. I mean, telling stories in the realms has always been fun. I haven't actually ever set a campaign in the realms, but I've been pretty much blatantly stealing your ideas for about 30 years or so. Um, and it's helped tremendously, and I appreciate that. So actually, while we're up here, let me just thank you for coming up with the realms. You've made my game tremendously better. But that said, right, um, for myself, and probably for a lot of people in the audience, I've seen a lot of things done with, or done to, the Forgotten Realms that I haven't necessarily been thrilled with. You know, I think it's great that you're working hard to fix up the realms, but I'm a little leery of what that means. Um, I still remember how Ball's death, back at the end of first edition, paved the way for second edition, killed off every single assassin. Uh, I have a character who would still like to have words with you. <laughs> so are we looking at another transitional world-shaking event, another time of troubles, another spell play? There, There is something big happening, but it's not a time of troubles, and it's definitely on another spell play. <laughs>
I'm sorry you couldn't be with us here this weekend. But I can promise that longtime fans of Bob's Rome's novels are going to be delighted with what they read. The author of the next Sundering novel, The Godborn, is Paul Campion. Although there are going to be 
gods and their chosen taking some sort of part in this story, they're also just plain folks, struggling to stay alive and defend what they hold dear. And you'll see that in the Sundering books. And your characters will be a part of that defending afterwards. Is all about. It has grown and changed a lot over the 30 years or so that it's been around and we're trying to get it back to its roots. We want to get back to the basics of what Dungeons and Dragons is and what the Forgotten Realms were. And I firmly believe that it is that original vision of the Forgotten Realms that Ed brought in. The freshness, the clarity that made it so special. Send me in my original conception is the land of fat rich merchants. What do we love the most about the realms? What is most fun about the realms? What have we get brought out? The fundamental reality of the realms is this wonderful dream that Ed Greenwood created and a lot of the rest of us participate in. This is vision of this wonderful fantasy world. Yeah, you want to get rid of the abstract areas of the there's always other more than that. When you get a chance to collaborate, the chance to brainstorm and trade ideas with people, who are as enthusiastic about a project as you are, you jump out. It lifts the energy level, and people can cap each other's ideas or, or string them out or say, wait a minute, you haven't thought about this. It lifts you all above what you could achieve on your own by constantly challenging and reshaping all the ideas firing around the table. It, it begins to take you further, faster than you could go by yourself. A pirate weapon has been around to divide water dripping from the media. As I'm listening to Troy and Ed talk about the gods of the realms, and I'm listening to Richard Lee Byers talking about um, what he might want to do with the Sea of Fallen Stars, I outlined two books, my next two books, in that session today. You're talking about human drama or elven drama <laughs> on a massive scale, and if you just tell it from one point of view, I think something like that could make for just a great book. When I get to sit down in a room with Rich Baker and Ed Greenwood and uh, Bob Salvatore and bounce ideas back and forth and talk about this big new project that we're all going to be part of. You know, I'll, I'll do this thing to make your thing even cooler. You know, but it's just, uh, it gets you really psyched to go home and write something. Everybody has worked in the realms before and has a particular interest in the corners of the world that they have staked out in the stories they've told before. It's the classic D&D trope, right? You need a fighter, a wizard, a rogue, and a cleric to go into the dungeon together and overcome the obstacles. Everybody brings their unique perspective there capabilities to make something bigger than any one person's vision. When you have a world like this, you can look at it, you can pick up on stories and dreams that other people have done, you can look at the map, and you just see that there's this wealth of possibility out there. The realms has always been an ongoing tapestry of interwoven stories, and we're just looking at making sure the tapestry is unfolding in the direction we want. Hopefully the novels are going to tell wonderful personal stories that make this change in the world makes sense. It's going to evoke very powerfully um, the things that people love most about the realms, but at the same time it's going to uh, be suspenseful and surprising. It's going to be everything you could possibly want in like, a classic realm story. I think that we're going to tell the best stories we can, tell the stories we love, and, and hope by going back to what I consider to be the heart of the realm, the high fantasy, that will draw the fans back to what they love. I would love to see these six books that we're planning for 2013, 2014 to go out there and just take everybody by surprise. And I think we're going to do that by working with the authors to get just fantastic stories, compelling characters, uh, and classic fantasy.
book covers and introduce the main characters of the sundry and everyone who's watching. Okay, um, starting with Drist in The Companions. Drist Jordan is a rare specimen, a drow with a conscience. But lately, his lofty ideals have been called into question by the allies he's chosen to fight by his side. Then, of course, Elminster in the Herald. Chosen and beloved by the goddess of magic. Elminster is a wise old sage, a mischievous meddler, and a world-weary archmage struggling to keep up with the changing realms. In The Adversary by Aaron M. Evans, Farida is a young tiefling warlock who struggles to reconcile the secrets of her past with the powers that beckon from deep within the hells. <laughs> oh, it's just fun. <laughs> In Paul Kemp's The Godborn, Vason Kale is half shade, half man, heir to Erebus Kale's legacy of violence, but his heart burns bright with the light of a monitor. In The Sentinel by Troy Denick, Sergeant Cleef Kenrick is an embittered paladin who stubbornly clings to his family's worship of the dead god Hell. In The Reaver by Richard Lee Byers, Anton Merivaldi is a tormented pirate, sardonic and deadly with a blade, whose boldness and ruthlessness have made him the terror of the sea of fallen stars. And in this pantheon of main characters from the Sundry novels, you may recognize some old favorites. Of course, there are some new characters here too, not to mention some classic characters we are going to name here today. So Mike, um, this brings up something that has bothered me a bit in the past. Um, it's a little odd that we're following up one big realm-shaking event with another. I mean, the realms has a lot going for it, but I think that a lot of players over the years have felt like their characters are playing sort of second fiddle to the big iconic names who, uh, who are in the realms. I know that was one of the reasons that Eberron tends to have low-level NPCs. Uh, and characters from the novels, right, like Elminster and Drizzt and Finder Wyvernsburn and uh, Mask and the others, how more. Um, they're usually the center of attention. So, don't those big events kind of take up the space that players would normally use for their own home campaign? Doesn't that sort of run against what you've been saying about players owning the realms? Yeah, so um, it, it does. And because of that, there are two changes we're going to make. Uh, first, within our novels and the stories of Wizards of the Coast Towns, we're going to really focus on the personal challenges that those characters face. Uh, there are untold stories waiting, waiting to be unfurled in the realms, and those stories are going to focus on single characters as individuals, the threats that they face in their lives, their rivals, their friends, all the obstacles that they face on a very personal level, you know, as within, within their lives. Uh, when the effects of the Sundering are settled, when the world has entered into its new era, uh, that era of massive change, of the realm-shaking event of the year, and the iconic characters driving that action, that's gonna come to an end. Uh, we're gonna enter a new era. Uh, for way too long, we've left the big stories of the Forgotten Realms up to our characters rather than your characters. Uh, that's something that doesn't make much sense in a D&D setting. 
where the DM and the characters and the adventuring group, the players, have the potential to become the center of the action in the world. Uh, characters like Elminster, Drist, you know, the other iconic characters, the characters in the realms, they're going to continue to have their adventures, but their, their exploits are going to be exactly that. They're going to be their adventures. In the new era of the realms, it's up to the heroes that you play to make an impact in the world. Your characters will determine the unfolding tapestry of the Forgotten Realms. Shaping the realms is your job now. The realms is truly going to become your setting. So, uh, it's clear that um, you, Mike, and John, and all the authors and the designers have been working together to make big changes to the realms. Um, John, I don't want to spoil the story, but can you show some of the visuals that you're using to help represent the realms going forward? Sure. Um, so we got a smattering of imagery. It's all different stages. It's concepts and pencils and finals, and actually nothing's really final because we're all just learning what we're doing as we're going along and getting your feedback. But you probably noticed a few pieces of art around the room. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that we're doing, a lot of things we're playing with. Um, we're working on everything from uh, races and classes to artifacts and architecture, even down to what a random villager would look like. And so we're really trying to build up that word Bible. It's not just about monsters and famous characters. Okay, well, so with any DD game, like in my own campaign, my characters change the world. They take actions, those actions ripple outwards, and the world changes because of what they did. Um, how does that work with something like the Forgotten Realms? Right? You've said a couple times that um, it's going to be sort of owned by the players and that the changes that they make actually make a difference. Um, is it going to actually have an effect on the official campaign setting? And if so, how does that work? So next year, we are going to publish two adventures set in the Forgotten Realms. And the R&D team of Wizards has turned to Ed Greenwood and Bob Salvatore to help us create those adventures. When you play through those adventures, uh, you know, as a player, as a DM, you are going to have the ability to make a direct impact on the, on the Forgotten Realms. We're going to collect results of those adventures, assuming you, you take time to let us know what happened in your campaign. And the aggregate results of those adventures are going to shape the future of the Forgotten Realms. If you guys topple the kingdom, if you unleash a horde of demons, or maybe burns a central key to the ground again, uh, <laughs> that is what is going to happen in the canonical history of the Forgotten Realms. We're going back to what we all loved about the realms. And one of those things is that you could do anything with it. So, let's shift gears and talk about what's going on right now with the public playtest. Uh, but before we dive into that, we thought it would be fun to show you one other piece of fan involvement. Wizards Right recently has been running a fan video contest on the Facebook page, and I'd like to show you one of the videos of fans participating in a slightly unusual way.
ends by having a lot of uh, aid and other actions. Um, last time we checked, about uh, 75,000 of them. Uh, that's how many fans have, uh, the last, I think, last time we had been about a week ago, it's been going up, uh, obviously, because of every day. But uh, since we launched our first uh, public playtest in May, um, a lot of people have taken part. And uh, we've done some surveys. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who's, who filled up those surveys, response when we asked. We sent you the emails like, hey, next survey's up. It's been a huge help. Uh, we go through forums, blog posts, Reddit, everywhere we get feedback we're looking for. And uh, it's been a lot of stuff. It's been great, been very well thought out. It's really helped us a lot. You know, it's really your ideas, your thoughts, your opinions. All of that has been an enormous help for us as we keep on working on DNA. And a new playtest packet went out like two days ago, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so you've got a lot of people participating in the playtest, and you want more players to sign up. Um, how much, and so this is one of the questions actually we got asked a lot on eAnimal, with people not really feeling like they were going to have, um, like their opinion was going to have an impact. How much impact are players actually having on the game? How much have they already, and can we give some examples? Sure, so probably the best thing to start with um, is to look at the four core character classes. Um, if you look at the latest uh, packet that we posted on, I think it was Monday, it went live, um, you, you've seen a lot of these changes. So um, with the Cleric, uh, starting with, you know, with the Cleric class, it's traditionally been a healer. Um, I'll get a lot of feedback from the first packet that said, look, uh, people like being able to heal and also attack or do something else. Necessarily like just spending their entire round action in every round of combat, just letting the rest of the party have fun. Um, so what we've done um, is uh, now we've given clerics the option to uh, to heal and attack with a spell through uh, your ability to channel divine power and made that a core feature of the character class. So that's something we want to make sure is there. And you know, cleric clerics is both loud and clear. A lot of players like having that option. Uh, for the fighter, um, a lot of people, like maybe more than 70% of you, uh, based on our surveys, have said they kind of felt the fighter from the first playtest packet was a little boring. Um, just doing the same thing round after round, attacking and attacking again, and just kind of feeling a little old. So we've introduced a new concept to the game, this idea of expertise, uh, expertise does. Um, and the, the way they're meant to work, uh, the idea behind it is it's kind of like you can think of almost like a boxer or a martial artist. You're sizing up your opponent, and your expertise dice represent your ability to take advantage of those sudden openings, or those, those opportunities that a lesser warrior might overlook, but that your fighter can, can jump on, jump upon and seize to his, his or her advantage. Um, now with Rose, uh, we've kind of something kind of funny happened with our first pre-gen playtest for Rogue. Uh, it's kind of thing that makes you guys probably hate the fact that we give you pre-gens, at least to start with. Uh, we created a Rogue with a name Wisdom. And uh, yeah, as someone's laughing, uh, as, uh, as you might know, if you played in the game, I'm sure some people in this group have done, uh, wisdom is important to spotting hidden things, things like traps, which rogues are kind of in theory supposed to be good at, and our playtest rogues is kind of uh, aggressively not good at, especially in Clerk. See, yeah, that's it. Yeah, right? I mean, sometimes tricking the trap is having fun. Uh, at least the rest of the group are hopefully safely far away from the room. Um, so I guess we could have given the rogue like D20 hit dice, or uh, we could have given the rogue a mechanic that lets him or her uh, excel at a skill, regardless of the underlying ability score that would tie to it. So that's one of the new features of the rogue. If there's a rogue, you say, yeah, we good at the skill. Even if you have a six charisma, you still manage to be like, you know, at least the talker, just because you're already you know, you've got a few tricks. You can kind of overcome your natural uh, uh, drawbacks. Now with the wizard, um, We've got a lot of interesting feedback about the uh, about the wizard, uh, about the magic system, which I'll get to in a little bit. But um, what I want to talk about the wizard is we didn't see too many changes in this last playtest packet. We are going to be introducing the concept of uh, arcane uh, 
uh, sort of like methods of using magic, uh, the traditions of magic, if you will. Uh, so that's something we're going to be unveiling. Uh, it's not in the latest playtest package, but Fortune of the Future. That'll cover things like wild magic, um, or like the war mage type uh, spellcaster, really just, you know, uh, studied arcane magic for use in battle. It basically represents your wizard's approach to magic, and how you learn, and what you do with your magic, and how you use it. So playtesting is continuing. Um, how long is the playtest going to go before its pencil is down? And is there anything in particular that your team is asking people to take a look at as they playtest? So, um, you know, the thing is with playtesting is uh, we still have a long, long way to go. We've only done the four core classes from levels one to five. And we anticipate that it's going to be about a two-year process at our current rate. Uh, like, we've always said that we were going to do it right. We're not going to try to do it fast. We're not going to try to speak the end. We're going to take the time as needed uh, to make sure that we can continue to take in fan feedback and continue to make sure we're on course and that the game is right out of the gate. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. We're very serious about taking the time we need to get this right. Specifically, might need some help with. Uh, I mentioned under the wizard that uh, you know we got some feedback on the wizard specifically, but then we got a lot of feedback about the magic. Um, so some people really like D&D's classic magic system. You have know, advancing method of spell casting, right? You prepare a spell, you cast it, it's gone. Uh, other people really like the four. You get power system. You have at will magic. You have encounter spells, where once you cast them, you rest for five minutes, you gain the magic, and then you have your daily spells, which, which are essentially advancing. Um, and there's another kind of funny thing in the history of role-playing games. Uh, there's been entire games that have been written in response to, to D&D's magic system, you know, where people look at it and go, that's not how magic works, right? Clearly, magic should work this way, you know, and usually it's a spell point system in a lot of cases. And, you know, when we think about it, you know, there's always different ways you can represent magic, and we've talked a lot about modularity, and we want players to have the freedom to, to make the characters that they've always wanted to play, play them they want, in the way they want to play them. And so we thought long and hard about the issue, and, uh, and in the end, we realized that we should probably just put all three of those in the game. Uh, why just settle for one when you have three different types of magic? So it really was that hard, you know, getting about that modularity that it did, like, allowing you guys, you know, you guys as DM players to make the game yours. There's a DM or some player. And that modularity is a really big feature of the game in D&D Next. So, starting tomorrow, uh, we are releasing levels 1 to 5 of the Warlock character class and the Sorcerer character class. Uh, if you're familiar with Warlocks, this really shouldn't be too surprising to you. Uh, Warlocks forge packs with otherworldly entities, and they, they are able to channel magic from those entities to fuel their invocations. And those entities can be your Fey Lord, Elemental Prince, or even Stranger Beings that inhabit the other planes. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a way, we've got a little, little bit concepting with warlocks. Kind of picture them almost as like reality hackers. Like, you know, they have an un unearthed forbidden lore and ancient secrets, almost like a, like a pulp sorcery kind, kind of way. And then it's just like the hidden secrets that your man was not meant to know. And using those to decode the fabric of reality and rebuild it, using those invocations, and taking power by striking bargains with these strange creatures from beyond the planes, or from the planes themselves. Uh, so that's, well, that's our first new character class. Uh, and then with the Sorcerer, 
Um, if you're familiar with the sorcerer's lore, uh, the sorcerers tap into this idea of a wellspring of magical power that exists within you. But we've kind of put a little bit of a twist on that. And, you know, allowing for the fact that that source could come from any number of ways. That really it's just a magic that infuses the sorcerer's soul. Whether that magic is from a draconic bloodline, maybe it's from a curse that was levied on the sorcerer's family. Maybe it's from some strange ritual in the when the sorcerer is first born, like, you know, that the first child born under the new moon at just the right time and the stars line up, that this child will have and grant these powers. And the idea is that sorcerers expend their willpower, their focus, by expending that and, and burning off that, those internal reservoirs of mental energy. They can take that innate power and focus it into magical spells and unleash it on the world. So both those character classes are going to be available here at the show. We have our DD Next uh, playtest area. We're allowing people to make up characters that go on about an hour-long adventure. And also, starting tomorrow, uh, that is our next playtest packet. If you go to uh, dndnext.com, uh, you can download the packet, and it'll include both those character classes from levels 1 to 5. testing group, um, I am really looking forward to being able to spring them on my group. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let my group use them. Yeah, exactly. uh, monsters as well. So, there's a lot I can say about monsters. Actually, well, we have panels, we're going to show you a schedule, but we've got, uh, we have some interesting stuff about monsters. So, in fact, for folks in the audience, um, here are the events and seminars related to the future of D&D that you can check out during the show. We've got them up there, and of course, they're also in uh, the main book. In addition, We've got a great poster of the characters from the Sundering for each of you to pick up on your way out. There's plenty of space on that for you to have the authors sign it at the authors' Sundering, sundering panels as well. And as we finish up, um, you know, this is kind of interesting for me because I'm not a Watsi employee. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be involved with D&D uh, through the Emerald for a decade or so now. And it is, um, I'm very appreciative of getting a chance to ask you questions and sort of represent the fan base while we're up here. Um, if I do a bad job, everyone's going to yell at me back on the porch when we get back. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, and you know, from my perspective, I'm really liking how D&D Next is looking right now. I ran my group through, the first thing I did was run through B1, In Search of Adventure! Which turned out to be the very first module, way back in the late 1970s, that a friend showed me. He said, you've got to play this! And I looked at it, and I didn't understand it at all. Um, and now finally, after all these years, I've gotten to actually run it as a game, and it's fantastic. People who are interested in my ideas or my thoughts can follow the commentary on Ian World's D&D Next Forum. Um, we will certainly keep up with D&D Next News as it becomes available. Um, and most importantly, thank you all so very much. Um, you're here in this auditorium, you're watching online, you're watching the recording, because you give a damn about Dungeons and & Dragons. And that is really awesome.